It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over his, her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not as a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, She should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife? This is God's word. Thank you, Tim. So we didn't have our talk about it song. You guys missed that? Come on, I know you guys are. I saw even some of you starting to dance a little bit last few times we played it. So uh, it's a catchy tune, isn't it? Well, we are in our series uh, called Taboo, and we've been talking about or going through. Uh, discussions that the church doesn't normally talk about. And as we come to marriage today, you may actually say, well, the, the church talks about marriage. Uh, quite often, I mean, we'll, we'll hit on it, I'm sure, a couple times a year in a service like this. And so it doesn't seem like marriage is really something that is that taboo. And so as I was approaching it and just kind of thinking through this week, what are the issues about marriage that are taboo? What makes us a little bit uncomfortable when we start to talk about marriage and relationships between men and women? And so that's kind of where I went, was like, what are the things that personally I'm a little embarrassed maybe even talk about? And, uh, and then I'm like, well, I don't want to talk about those. So let's think of something else. But, uh, but anyhow, that's, those are some of the things we are going to go through, are just the things that we don't normally talk about on a Sunday morning. And then it's going to get probably even more awkward if you're in a life group because you're going to talk about it there as well. So uh, that'll be more of a you know, smaller setting. So here's some of the things that we're going to go through this morning. Issues surrounding marriage. Uh, first of all, what is marriage? Well, you're going to be like, well, that's not that ta- 
taboo, right? And it's not, but I think we need to at least approach Scripture, get a, get a foundation, and say, what is marriage? When God talks about marriage in the Bible, what is it? So that's what we're going to take a look at first. Uh, divorce and remarriage, people have questions about that. Uh, we actually covered that back in our fall study when we went through Mark. I'm not going to hit on uh, marriage and divorce or, or divorce and remarriage uh, that much again, just a few statements on it. Uh, but that's a topic that sometimes is a little uncomfortable to talk about, but uh, we'll, we'll hit on that, and then I think there might be a life group question or two on that one as well. But then this topic, sex. In fact, I said that in the pre-service, and they're like, somebody, maybe it was, was it you that said that? Somebody said, somebody's like, can you even say that as a pastor? Like, you know, sex? <laughs> a word, you know, oh, oh my goodness. So um, that part, when we get to that part, if you're like one of those parents that so when you're watching a show, you have to cover your kid's eyes, you may want to cover your kid's ears, I don't know, but um, we're going to get to that part and, and talk and look at what the Bible actually says about this subject of sex, because the Bible talks about it. In fact, we're going to read a passage, and, and probably some of you are going to be like, oh, I had no idea the Bible said that sort of thing. So uh, it'll be a little awkward, I guarantee it, but we will go over it. And then uh, singleness. Okay, so singleness is another subject that we don't talk about much in church. But I think it's something that we should talk about because the Bible talks about it. And so we will, uh, we will approach that subject as well and uh, look at what God has to say about that. So as we do, as we jump into this topic this morning, let's go ahead and pray and then we will get into what, what is marriage. So, Father, thank you for our time to come together, Lord. It's, uh, it's great to be a church. We do uh, notice and miss uh, Luke this morning uh, and Rachel both. We trust that they're having a, a great time, Lord, that they are uh, enjoying their, their time in uh, Pennsylvania and, and through the seminary there and the graduation and the people they can catch up with. Uh, Father, we ask that you... Um, Take us this morning through your word, that you would guide and direct us, that this would be honoring to you. Um, Lord, we want to, to lift you high, and we want to understand what your word has to say. This is a big subject, Father, but we know that you, you gave us the institution of marriage. You, you started the whole thing, and uh, we, want to, we want to honor you with how we... we conduct ourselves within our marriages. Guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of things as the worship team was, was you know, starting this morning. Like I said, we, we definitely noticed uh, Pastor Luke is, is not with us this morning. Uh, and I was just kind of goofing around with him a little bit at the beginning. I was like, we should probably say something because you don't want to feel like we're trying to pretend that we're, we're trying to replace him or anything like that. Um, but uh, but I, I guarantee, as we were practicing this morning, like pretty much guarantee we're going to make mistakes. Uh, pretty much guarantee it's not going to sound like it does typically. But what's cool is as you as you listen to the team up here, I can also guarantee you the hearts are in the right place, and and they love the Lord and they're worshiping and and, and to hear you guys singing and just your voices singing is awesome uh, to just come and worship the Lord together. So we're glad uh, glad we can continue worshiping. Even if it doesn't have the same sound, hopefully it has the same heart before the Lord as we come and approach Him. Well, we want to go forward here into this subject of marriage. And as we do, we'll, we'll deal with that first question, what is marriage? So let's define it. 
Uh, even highlighted, it's Mother's Day, highlighted things in pink this morning, just to give you more of the, the Mother's Day feel. So you'll have that up there as well. But Genesis 24 to 25, let's take a look at those verses and what they have to say. This is why, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, if you look at the whole context here, you have Adam and Eve. They were created. And, and again, we've gone through this a few weeks ago when we went through, Genesis, or through uh, the gender issue. But what happens in this, this portion is you've got the two coming together. God brings them together, and he says, I, I made it so that there would be this union between a man and a woman. And here he says, even though Adam and Eve didn't have a, a father and mother, he, he says it in a way, when Moses writes it, to say, you will leave one family unit, and you will create another family unit, and you'll become that bond. And that's what you see here in this verse. A man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. And oftentimes in, in premarital counseling, I know this is one that anybody who's done some premarital counseling has to kind of hit pretty hard. Because you grew up a certain way, you know, you grew up one way and your spouse grew up another way, and, and they have to, to leave those different families and realize, hey, we are creating a family unit here of our own. And we are committing ourselves to one another. And that's a bond that they begin to make. And then it even says they become one flesh. And as you know, you know, over time, have you guys ever seen like the pictures? I don't know, I was just thinking about this, but have you ever seen the pictures where they have like a dog owner and then a dog and they look really similar? They put those on Facebook out there and it's kind of funny. And then they have like similar hair and everything. Um, well, have you ever, I see they do that every once in a while too with married couples. As they get older, they seem to look more and more like each other. Like that uniting of the flesh in a very, you know, literal way. Well, I don't think that's really what this is talking about. But the idea is as you become one, you become more like each other. I mean, you are so tightly, uh, you are so tight together, it's, it's, it's like you're inseparable. That's the idea. That's the the image that God has for us. So they become one flesh, and then he goes on, both the man and his wife were naked. Now this is before the fall, before sin came into the world. Chapter 3, uh, when the sin comes into the world, the first thing that it says is that they saw that they were naked at that point. Okay? So there's a little bit of a, uh, you know, like their, their eyes kind of go from looking at each other to looking at themselves. That's kind of the picture from what happens before the fall and after the fall. And so before the fall, they were naked, there was no shame. But I think one of the things we can begin to, to see here is that in God's design for marriage, we'd be so comfortable with our spouse that we would be moving towards that, where we are transparent, where we are not ashamed. Because that's the intimate relationship we have. Now, first and foremost, our most intimate relationship was with Christ. And we'll talk about that more as we go along. And then our human relationship should be with that person that we are married to. So that's, that's a little bit of the, the background, the definition, the understanding of what, what is marriage. Uh, this is a statement I just wanted to give you, our doctrinal statement at Involved Church, because I think it's important that we also understand this. This is a, a, an issue in our society today. We believe at Involved Church that a sexual relationship must pattern themselves after a faithful, heterosexual, and monogamous relationship within marriage. Basically, that statement is there to say that we do not believe in a homosexual uh, marriage relationship, and we do not believe in polygamy, multiple wives or spouses. 
Okay? Uh, so we have that as a, as a statement to say as a church, that's what we uphold. It's between a man and a woman and a man and a woman only. I also wanted to go through some marks of a good marriage. So I will give you a little bit of a marriage talk, and then we'll go into those more taboo subjects. Marks of a good marriage, one is that they practice sacrificial love. Uh, maybe you've experienced it yourself, you've seen it in other marriages, maybe you've done some counseling in marriages, but you know that uh, two couples, they come together, and in our society, without a doubt, there's this kind of romanticism that when we come together, everything's going to be awesome, we're going to have the best marriage ever, I know I passionately love that person, and, and you get into that marriage, and a year goes by, and then you start to think to yourself, that's not the person that I thought it was, or you know, like a year, what happened in a year? Right? And you begin to realize it's not the same as you thought it was at one point. And so you are forced at that point, hopefully not forced, but you may feel forced at that point to practice sacrificial love. And that's what God calls us to do. We need to, call, we need to practice that sacrificial love. The same love that Christ has for his church. Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So that's the pattern that we're to follow. And really, as we enter into a marriage, it should not be about, hey, what can that person do for me? The question is, what can I do for them? How do I love them? How do I care for them? And that's the mark of really a healthy relationship, a healthy marriage. If you're walking in thinking, hey, this person's going to fulfill me, this person's going to make all my dreams come true, this person's going to make me happy, I'm here to tell you, you will be disappointed. But if you walk into that relationship saying, hey, I will do my best to help them. I will care for them. I will uphold them. I will lift them up. I will pray for them. I will do my best to present them, especially men, I will do my best to present my wife as holy before God. I will encourage her. I will lead her. I will guide her. Men, that's what we're called to do. And wives, we come along. Oh, we, wives, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Wives, you come alongside it, and, and you're, you're to help in that situation, and, you, and you're to, to follow your husband's lead, but also encourage him to do that. And it's a great partnership that God has created for us. And so uh, we need to practice that sacrificial love. Well, I can, spend, I can spend the whole half hour just going through these, so I better pick it up a little bit. Uh, Another one, we seek God's design for marriage. Not our design, not the world's design, but God's design for marriage. Genesis 2.24, which we talked about, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. In God's design, there's a pattern that he sets forth, and that is that God is God, we are not. He lays out the rules. We see that Christ is the head of the church. We see then when we go to Ephesians that the, the husband is the head of the home and the wife is also a partner with that husband. And so he, the, the husband kind of sets that stage, and then the wife comes alongside, and then they have children after that. And what I want to bring your attention to, because I think it happens in our society so much, is that we oftentimes, in a family unit, if you have children, you begin to put your children above the marriage. And that is a mistake. Okay? Um, now, you may disagree with that, but I'm here to tell you, as far as God's order is... Christ is first, the marriage between the husband and wife is second, and then your kids. And that was a huge revelation to me. When we, when we got married, 
you know, we didn't think about it too much, but then we started having kids, and I remember going through a, a course, and that was one of the main points in the course, and I was like, oh, wow, I never really thought about that. And fortunately for me, I saw my parents live that out in front of me. They would go out on dates, and sometimes I'm like, why are they going out on dates without us? I mean, they should take us out to eat, you know? <laughs> you know, they were, they were doing things like they would sit together and say, no, you can't sit between us. And I was like, well, I'm the center of attention. I'm the center of the family. You know, I'm supposed... and, and they would fight. And, and it's amazing how much Rebecca and I have had to fight to do that as well. To keep our marriage the center of that family unit. Of course, with Christ being the center first. So that, it's an important practice. And what it does, and what I've understood as I've gotten older, is I look back at my, my parents, who by, all the, by now, you know, all the kids have left the house. Their marriage is still strong. They still love each other because their marriage wasn't built on us, the kids. And so that was incredibly important, a great lesson for me to learn, and a great lesson for me, I think, to pass on to you guys. Um, so anyhow, those are some thoughts to, to think about when you think about God's design for marriage. Another one. What the, boy, we're, I'm taking way too long on this. Um, embraces a positive perspective. Okay? So a good marriage embraces a positive perspective. 1 Corinthians 7, 4 is an interesting passage. It says, a wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. And we're going to look at, at this passage a little bit more uh, later. But here you've got this, this uh, passage that's talking about how I think sometimes in a, a marriage relationship you begin to withhold from one another. He says, don't do that. That's a bad thing. When you start to feel like you need to control, you start to think that the other person is, I don't know, doing something to harm you, and you start to have negative thoughts and all those types of things, it says you need to get away from that and realize that God has brought you together. You're a family, you're a couple, and you need to actually practice loving one another. Don't withhold, each other, withhold yourself from each other. So have a, have a positive perspective Embrace that positive perspective about the person you're married to. As soon as negative thoughts come into play, as soon as negative thoughts about that person, and you start to think you want to control that situation, you need to step away from that. That is extremely dangerous in a marriage. Uh, and then the last one, know how to manage conflict. Uh, sometimes you can't always resolve conflict. Sometimes you just have to manage it. I think that's a great point. Uh, I was actually talking to, to Gene this week, and he brought that up. Uh, he's like, yeah, you can't always, can't always resolve it. You've got to manage it through it. I was like, yeah, that's, that's great to point out. In fact, the Scripture talks about that in a way. Romans 12, 15 through 18, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I think those principles apply in your marriage as well. You're striving to live with peace or in peace. doesn't mean you can always fix that marriage and fix what's going on and fix the conflict, but you can certainly strive to live in peace, even in the midst of tension and conflict. You learn how to manage it uh, instead of trying to control it. All right, so there's some points on marriage. Uh, like I said, I want to move through some of these other pieces as well. By the way, when you talk about marriage, this is a huge subject, okay? 
So we're just kind of scratching the surface on some of these pieces. And if you want, you can uh, talk to me afterwards. Again, you have life groups to go and, and ask some of these questions in those groups as well. Divorce and remarriage. One of the things we know is that uh, God does not like it. Uh, Malachi says this, If he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, he covers his garment with injustice, says the Lord of armies. Therefore, watch yourself carefully and do not act treacherously. So in that prophecy, Malachi is saying, hey, don't seek divorce. Again, you see it all throughout the New Testament. Bring shames on yourself, that sort of thing. One of the things that's difficult in a church setting, and obviously, we, I mean, there's divorce and remarriage that happens. There's a lot of sin that happens, but divorce and remarriage is public, and people know about it, and you can't hide it. People can do a lot of things privately in their home, and we'll never hear about it. We'll never see it. We'll not know about it. But divorce and remarriage uh, sometimes makes us feel a little awkward to talk about because we're like, how how do you deal with this? Especially when you read scriptures like this. And so I want you to make sure, or I want to make sure you know this, uh, that as you see divorce and remarriage and you see it take place, and maybe it's happened in your life, One of the things I think the church has not done well, maybe, is help people who have gone through that. Because if if you're divorced and remarried, it's not like you can turn back the time and change that. And so one of the things we talked about, I think it was last fall when we did go through it, is just to say this. If you know that there was something wrong in that situation, have you brought it before the Lord and made it right? Have you gone to him and just said, Lord, I I messed up and, and here's what I did and I know it was wrong. And you seek to resolve it between you and God. And if you did, then are you moving on? Or are you letting that kind of, you know, hang over your head and get you down? And sometimes I think as a church, we, we kind of make it feel like it just hangs over your head and it gets you down and you feel like, oh, I can't do anything now. The people in the church, they always kind of brand me as somebody who's been divorced and remarried and now I don't feel like I can do anything for the Lord. Listen, if you've resolved it and you've, you've made amends and you're growing in your faith and you're, you're doing what you can then God will and can use you. You can look all throughout the Old Testament, right? And there are men, I mean, David had several wives, and God used him. That wasn't the right thing. He wasn't doing the right thing, but God still used him. And I'm not saying, trying to say divorce and remarriage is okay. I'm trying to say it like it is. It's wrong. We need to confess it just like any other sin. Confess that it's wrong. Then we move on just like we would any other sin. So that's a little bit of what I'll say on divorce and remarriage. Again, if you want to know more about that one, we can talk about that maybe at a different time. So then we can get into the more awkward ones, okay, and uh, move forward through some of these. So what could the Bible possibly say about this subject of sex? 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 7. Now, had, uh, had Tim come up and read this for us. Sorry, that went backwards. Um, now, in response to the matters you wrote about, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and it appears, when you come into chapter 7, that there was some sort of letter that the people in Corinth wrote to Paul and asked him about certain subjects. So you can say something about, you know, Paul, what do you think about sex? Or what do you think about sex outside of marriage? Or, you know, all those kind of questions. So Paul responds to it, and he says, Now, in response... To the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to use a woman for sex. But because sexual immorality is so common, 
Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. Now, it seems odd that you'd have to say that. But here's probably what was happening. So if you go back to Corinth, you can look at a little bit of their history and know about 2,000 years ago, Corinth was a thriving city, and in Corinth there was a, a temple prostitute. It's where the goddess of Aphrodite was. And in that, that temple prostitute, or that, that temple, you had, they guessed, somewhere around up to a thousand prostitutes. And now in the temple itself, maybe a hundred, but there was brothels all around the area as they kind of dug it up and looked at some of the historical accounts and so forth. And what it really, kind of what Corinth became was what we might say is like a, you know, an older uh, Las Vegas, the sin city at the time. People would go there, spend a lot of money, and there was a lot of sexual immorality in the, the city. And so it became a place where people would come to, you know, to, to go to this, this goddess, Aphrodite's, and then they could play, uh, pay for sexual pleasures and so forth, and that, that's what the city became. So as Paul's writing to the church there, he's starting to realize that there's probably people in the church that maybe grew up doing that and thinking nothing of it. Maybe there's people that are struggling with that, men and women both who are struggling with it right there, like, oh, this is the goddess here, and this is what we do in the city of Corinth, and so we just think it's normal, it's part of life. And he's starting to say to him, you need to separate yourself from that. And so they ask the question about you know, sexual immorality, you know, and is it okay to have sex, and all that kind of stuff, and Paul begins to lay this out and say, yeah, it's okay, but it needs to be done within the context of a husband and a wife, within the context of marriage. And so that's what he's explaining as he, he moves through this passage. Verse 3, it says, A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. Now, you usually don't hear it worded like that, right? But think about the context. The context is, husbands, don't go out and find a prostitute. No, you have a responsibility, and that's to be with your wife. Likewise, a wife to her husband. That's your responsibility. That's who you committed yourself to. You created that special bond, that marriage, and you're faithful to that. A wife does not have the right over her own body, and her husband, excuse me, a wife does not have the right over her own body, her her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. And that also seems like an odd statement. But the point that Paul, again, is making is, as you're not out there, the husband shouldn't say, hey, it's my body, I can just go out and do whatever I want with it. No, you became one flesh. It goes right back to Genesis chapter 2, 24. When you came together, you became one flesh, and you committed yourself to each other. And so you save yourself for the bonds of marriage. You save yourself for the person you committed yourself to. The other thing I think it points out is in a relationship, sometimes in a marriage, and he talks about the struggles a little bit later, you should not get into ever a situation where the husband says, hey, woman, you're not doing what I want you to do, so I'm not going to be part of you know, what we do at nighttime or whatever. And likewise, the wife should not do the same thing. You don't withhold each other. Because that's what he goes on to talk about. Verse 5, do not deprive one another except when you agree for a time to devote yourself to prayer. Okay, well, then you go apart. But then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And we start to get manipulative and controlling and withhold things. And I think this goes beyond just sex. I've seen, you know, families or, excuse me, husband and wives that withhold more than just the sexual relationship. Don't withhold each other from each other. 
So I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all people were as I am. Now, what's Paul talking about? He's talking about the fact that he's single. So I wish that all people were single, but each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift, and another has that. So he talks about the fact that he's single, and he's like, man, in this, especially in this context here in Corinth, it'd be just easier if everybody was single. We'd have all these issues and these struggles that were happening in the marriage. And you can look at, uh, look at chapter 7 and read it, its entirety, but it gives a lot of good input, and you're going to go through that again in some of your life groups this week. But I also want to read to you just God's perspective on sex within marriage. Because I think sometimes we're afraid, again, to say this as well, that sex in the right context is a beautiful thing. In our culture, in our society, I think sometimes we made it a dirty thing. Like, oh, we can't talk about it. Oh, we've made it something that's all about self-pleasure. So then it kind of feels more dirty as well. But it's actually a beautiful thing. So this may shock you, but if you've read some of Song of Solomon, maybe it doesn't. This is what he has to go on to say. He says, How beautiful you are, and how pleasant my love, with such delights. Your stature is like a palm tree. Your breasts are cluster of fruit. What? Like, wait a minute. I said, I will climb. I, guess, I mean, it gets more detail here, right? I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruits. I see you guys are starting to blush a little bit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes and the fragrance of your breath like apricots. Your mouth is like fine wine flowing smoothly for my love, gliding past my lips and teeth. That's interesting, and there's more passages like that, but I think God's design really is that we would enjoy, within marriage, we would enjoy the sexual relationship we have. Um, So I can say, honestly, I think my wife's hot, okay? (laughs) And I am grateful for the relationship that we have with one another. And it's a blessing. It's okay. And it's okay to enjoy that. And we don't have to feel dirty or awkward about it. But what if you're not in that relationship? Okay? What if you're not married? Then what? And the Bible addresses that as well. 1 Corinthians 725 to 345, this is what it says. We're going to skip a few verses in the middle, but it says, Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. And it's always interesting when you read a a verse like this, and Paul says, Well, I don't know, this isn't directly from God, but we believe all scripture is inspired, so we trust that this was also led by the Holy Spirit. And he comes in, he has this to say. And I don't think there's anything wrong with what Paul has to say here within the context. He says, because of the present distress, something in Corinth was happening. Probably marriages were struggling. And marriages might have been struggling because of the prostitution and, and the issues that were going on. By the way, we have a form of prostitution today that's not like just going down to the brothel and paying for sex right there. We have a, for, a form of prostitution in pornography. And it's as destructive to marriages as prostitution is. And so you could say that same thing here. Because of present distress, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is, which is single. Are you bound to a wife? Well, do not seek, well, excuse me, it goes on. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. So are you married? 
Or are you released from a wife? Are you single? Then do not seek a wife. It says, however, if you do get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. Like, I'm in a, I'm in a marriage, and I'm glad that I wouldn't say I've had trouble in this life. But again, it's in the context. He's saying there is, there's things out there that are causing distress. And I've seen some pretty unhappy marriages over the years. Yeah, there are people in really unhappy marriages. Can those improve? Absolutely. But if they're not improving, it's going to bring trouble. And so I think that's what Paul is seeing here in Corinth. There were some, some issues going on, and he's like, man, it would be better if you guys just weren't getting married because it seems to create so much problem. So he's trying to spare them. He goes on, verse 32. He, goes, he gives a, a spiritual point here. He says, I, don't, I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Sorry, dance tune for the day. No, it's good. Um, I want you to be concerned about the Lord. So when you're married, and it's true, and you've experienced this, when you're, when you're married, you, you've got that other person that you're caring for. Yeah, an unmarried person uh, can devote more time to the Lord and be faithful in that relationship. If you're married, you need to devote your time to the Lord as well. And I think that makes even a healthier relationship and a healthier marriage. Well, that's the point he's making there. Verse 33, But the married man is concerned about what the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be both holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I am saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper, and so you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction." So that's what he says to those who are, who are single. Now, just a couple of thoughts as we kind of wrap that portion up. In any marriage, the husband and wife ought to be pursuing Christ first and foremost, and not each other. They ought to find their fulfillment and satisfaction in everything in their relationship with Christ. And again, that'll make their relationships here on this earth better. Sometimes we talk about a vertical relationship and a horizontal relationship, right? We ought to be making sure our vertical relationship is good so that our horizontal relationships will be better. So in a marriage relationship, Christ ought to be first. If you're single, you just say, well, Christ is first. And that's where your fulfillment and your satisfaction and your joy comes from. Some people are called to be single. And what I'd like to say to all of you who are married is if somebody is called to be single, that's okay. Sometimes we get this idea that we're supposed to play matchmaker? Oh, here's a single person, and here's a single person. Let's get them together. Amazingly, I'm going to invite both of you over to my house afterwards. We're going to have lunch. Let's see how it goes. Here's a movie ticket for the two of you. No, I don't have to go that far. But, but you know, we start to play matchmaker. But some people are called to be, you know, single, and that's Okay. It's a struggle, and it's usually a struggle for those that are single, and there's, there's, they have their own set of, of struggles. And it's great if you are single to have somebody who maybe is older and has gone through it, and you can get with every once in a while and have some accountability, check up with, ask advice, or something like that. But it's okay to be single. 
In fact, God has called some people to be single. And I would say, especially what Paul is saying, is that when you are called to be single and you commit yourself to be faithful to him, and you commit yourself to be sexually pure, that's probably more difficult than getting married. Because Paul talks about it in here. And he says, stay single unless you're going to burn with passion. And if you burn with passion, then you should probably go ahead and get married. So my hat's off to those of you who are single and you've remained pure and faithful. Because that's hard to do. And for the rest of us, let's cut them some slack if they're single and not tell them that they'll be more fulfilled or happier or better off in life if they're married. Because that may not be the case. Right? Are we in agreement there? Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. So if anybody has ever pressured any of you who are single to get married or they're like, you don't got much time left, you know, things like that, just, uh, just you know, grin, say, let that go in one ear, not the other, and, uh, and move on because your relationship is with the Lord. And that's really what you need to be focused on. And that's true for every single one of us, whether we're married or not. So those are some of the subjects when it comes to uh, marriage, some of the taboo subjects. Like I said, probably got a little bit awkward, but I trust that somewhere along the way there's a little nugget of truth that you can take home and uh, will increase your relationship with the Lord and maybe even help your relationship with your, your spouse. Father, thank you for our time that we can get together here today. Lord, I thank you for, again, our mothers. They have come alongside. They have guided. They have directed us. They have helped us in so many different ways. Father, pray for our mothers here. You'll bless them. Give them a great day. And Lord, we think of, <clears throat> I think of your word and your truth. And we think of what it has to say. And there's, there's so much more that it has to say when it comes to relationships and marriage. But God, help us to put these things into practice. For those of us who are married, husbands who are married, help us to love our wives as Christ loved the church, to care for them, to present them before you, to uh, make sure we're nurturing and helping them grow in their faith. Father, I pray for, for the wives that you will help them to, to encourage their husbands to follow you, that they would pray for their husbands, that they to themselves will be faithful in their pursuit of you, and that that would be encouraging to their husbands and their children. And Father, I pray for those who are, are single here today and always looking for some sort of joy and fulfillment from, from somebody else, that they would be able to to find their joy and fulfillment in you. They would pursue you, first and foremost. And Lord, if you've called them to a life of, of being single, that you would just give them the strength to help them to do that. If you've called them to be married, and if that special someone out there somewhere, Lord, that they would, in your time, find that person and that they would have that healthy, strong marriage that's built on you. Father, help us encourage each other however you've called us to love you wholeheartedly and make sure that you are center and first and foremost in our lives. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.